You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. It is so good to be with you all in part two of what is a now theme that we have for the entire year. Um, we have our calendar year at Riverside that goes from September to September. And just last week, we kind of launched this new theme for the year called All In. And if you missed the last week's message, then you got to listen to it because it was fantastic. It's amazing. And I believe that it will speak life and light into your life. And so we're continuing on with this thought of all in. We need to be all in, that there's a God who is all in for us. And I've got to tell you, personally, I am convinced that the best life exists on the other side of being all in with God. From personal experience, I believe that the best life is experienced when I am all in with God. When I observe history, I can see lives that were lived powerfully, meaningfully, with purpose, and that was the result of living all in for God. And so if you haven't really noticed yet, last week it was God was all in for us, and I'm going to do the very thing that a preacher should never do, which is give you the very main thing right up front. It's just, it's, it's not smart you shouldn't do it. You should hold some cards back and you should show your hand at the end and everyone be, oh, okay. But no, 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 I want to come right out and say, this message is basically, we need to be all in for God. We have to be all in for God. That there is a God who loves us and, and he is deserving of our entire lives, everything. Back in the late 19th century, there was a man by the name of Horatio G. Spafford. Spafford. And Mr. Spafford, he lived in the United States and in Chicago, and maybe some of you will recognize that name, but bear with me here. And he lived in Chicago, and he was a lawyer. And so don't hold that against him. He lived a a good life in Chicago, but he also lived a, a difficult life. He had a wife, and he had five children. He had one son, and he had four daughters. And his one son in 1871, let me double check that, 1871, His son died of pneumonia, and it was a tumultuous year for him in general because his Chicago practice, his lawyer's practice, uh, he had some trouble because of the fire that occurred, the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. And a couple of years later, in 1873, him and his wife and his four girls decided we're going to go to Europe. And so they decided to abort a ship and go to Europe. Well, there were some last-minute, last-second business situation that kind of arose for Mr. Spafford. So he had to stay behind and, his, and catch another later ship over to Europe. And so his wife and four daughters aborted a ship, and they were on their way to Europe. On day four of their travels, their ship collided with another ship. And in the midst of that collision, the ship began to sink, and Mr. Spafford, he lost all four of his daughters in this great tragedy, in this shipwreck. And his wife was found floating by a man who was kind of looking around on a sail ship, a sailboat, looking around to see if there were any survivors. And his wife was clinging onto some debris and he pulled her into the sailboat and continued on back to Europe to the shore, which once arrived, she wired the message to Mr. Spafford and said, hey, and delivered this terrible news of the loss and tragedy of his four daughters, now having lost five of his children. And at once, 
Mr. Spafford uh, quick and urgently aborted a ship, the first he can get, over to Europe. And on his way to Europe, on day four of that journey, the captain, knowing this tragic event and the fact that Mr. Spafford was on board, he called Mr. Spafford into his cabin and informed him that they were traveling over the very spot where his children will ha- would have perished in this terrible tragedy and collision. And it was aboard this journey and this ship that Mr. Spafford wrote and penned one of the greatest hymns that the church has, I believe, in our repertoire. And he penned the words that maybe you would know. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bellows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You pen these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bellows roll over the very spot where he had lost his children, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What a, what a moving situation. I want to be honest this morning. I think that there are a couple of ways that you can view Mr. Spafford. And maybe someone in here would say, this is a man who has just taken a sip of the Kool-Aid. He he thinks everything is okay and he is not a man to lift up in high regard at all. He is silly. He is foolish to cling on to God and to to keep this kind of faith with, with God amidst the trouble that he finds himself in. That it is unfair. That if there was a good God, then surely this is no way that you should be conducting yourself in light of a good God letting his children die. And maybe you're here and you have gone through similar tragedy. And the thought that there could be a loving God is just so far and distant that you look at this situation and Mr. Spafford and say, this man, I just can't even respect him. He's ridiculous. This is silly. But then there's another way of looking at Mr. Spafford, and that's to say, what does he have? What does he have that he could have in the midst of one of his darkest moments? He can have a deep-seated peace, a deep-seated rest. He experiences a kind of life that from it, he can, in the midst of even tragedy, unspeakable tragedy, sing out and pen the words, it is well with my soul, even when sorrows like sea bellows roll. Let's take a moment and pray for whatever's happening there. God, I pray for whatever's happening right now in the midst of the tragedy, even as we speak about it, that you would help these first responders, God, to care for those or whatever that situation is in need. In your name we pray. Amen. We, can't, we look at his life and say, okay, what does he have? What does he have that he's at such deep rest and peace because of this situation that he can say, it is well with my soul. And I will submit to you that it is a life that is all in for God. It's a life that is all in for God. 
That's how in the midst of what he is going through, he can sing out and pen the words that we sing so powerfully at church. It is well with my soul, no matter what happens, it is well. And that's because he has received a kind of blessing, a kind of goodness from God that simply cannot be taken away. And that's because he lived a life that was all in for God. And so the question this morning is, how can I be all in for God? What does that look like? Why should I be all in for God? And that's the kind of questions, and those are the kind of questions that I want to unpack this morning. And I really want to camp, in, camp out on a particular text. And I would encourage you maybe to turn there in your Bibles. We'll have the uh, text on the screen. You can also follow along in the Riverside app. But we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, really camping out here this morning in just 12 verses that within it, oh, is it filled with life. It's filled with such helpful direction, whether you're here and maybe you don't have a relationship with God and you're like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this whole God thing, or you're here and like you're, you're a Christian, but you're like, ah, kind of not very satisfied with where you are in your relationship with God, or you're here and you would say, you know, I've been a longtime believer of God. This is a message for all of us this morning and a call to be all in. And I, I recognize that within this group here, there must be someone here who maybe you think you are beyond going all in with God. Like you're too far gone. And I want to encourage you because the context of Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through 12 is a people who really, they were messed up. And really, God proves just the fact that this passage exists, that this text exists, it shows that there's a God who's all about second chances. He's all about third chances, four, five, six. In fact, he had, Jesus had someone come up to him and say, hey, how many times should, should I forgive someone? Like seven times? Is that enough? Like, is that good? And he goes, no, no, it's more like seven times, 70 times. 77, just infinite number of times is how many times you should forgive. And so you, we should have a kind of, encouragement this morning. If you're here and you feel that you are too far from God to go all in and to experience a life that is full and bursting with life, that you're not too far gone, that God is the God of second chances. In fact, this context of Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through 12, it's the people of God, the nation of Israel. They had, you know, Moses with the staff and the whew, down, whoa, parting of the Red Sea. Everyone leaves from slavery and captivity, walk through on dry ground. And it's like, wow, God did something miraculous and huge here to get me out of slavery. And then he said, I have a place for you to go, this promised land, and you're gonna go into that place and it's gonna be awesome and amazing. You would think that once you see God open the waters in front of you, that maybe you wouldn't question where he's leading and what he's going to do to get you to where he's leading. Amen. But as is human nature, fear kind of came into the plan and into the picture because the people who resided in these different towns that God was going to lead them into, they were afraid of them. And so they disobeyed God. And as a result, God said to the people, no, okay, then you're not going in. Your generation is not going to the place that I had planned and prepared for you because you were disobedient. Moses, you're not going into that place. But your children, this is not their fault. I'm going to let your children go into that place. They're going to be the ones who are going to enter into the promised land. And so amidst all of this disobedience, in the wandering of the wilderness, outside of the promised land for a number of years, we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. And the fact that this exists in the Old Testament, for just a quick uh, note about Bible and how to approach the Bible, there is a wealth of knowledge and direction for the Christian life, not just in the New Testament, 
but also in the Old Testament. There are things, and this was a narrative, and this is a story that is really written to the true nation of Israel, which is not the Jewish people. It is not X, Y, or Z. It is the Christian life. This is a story. This is our heritage as the Christian life, as a Christian life, that we can look to the Old Testament and see what God has done and how he has directed. And so it's important when looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we look at the original context like we just discussed. But then we also look at this text in light of what Christ has done and what that means for us. So we read it at its original context, but then we also read it in light of what Christ has done and what that means for us. When he rose from the grave, he was walking alongside, this is Jesus, alongside his his disciples, and he began to explain the truth of the Old Testament scriptures in light of who he is, and their minds were just blown. And so that's the kind of way that we should read the Old Testament. And I'm thankful for this Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, because when we look at the life of Mr. Spafford, for instance, and how he was able to pen those amazing words of that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, we can look at this question of, what does it mean to be all in? Why should I be all in? And we can look at this text and we can see some of the answers to those questions this morning. So I want to start with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, where God begins and and he wants to direct his people and us here this morning as to why, why we should be all in. It's because the all in life really is the best life. It is a flourishing life. It is a good life because there is a flourishing God. There is a perfect God. There is a good God. Now, that does not necessarily mean that your bank account, after following God all in, is just going to go, your stock market's just going to go up for you. You know, your stocks, your, everything's going to be going really well. In fact, it might be that you lose your family. Things might get very difficult. But there is something that we receive, a blessing that we receive that cannot be taken away from us. And it's a kind of goodness that comes from God. And so I have no qualms, even though there is a very negative association with prosperity gospel I have no qualms with saying you will prosper with God. Just maybe not in material things, which is a distortion of the gospel of the prosperity gospel lie. But really, I believe God wants us to prosper. I believe God wants us to experience goodness and blessing and fullness. Something that cannot be taken away from us. And we get to that here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. This is what he says. Why we should be all in. These are the commands decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God oh when I think of this promise when I think of this why we should be all in I think of family dynamics and how many of us have been a part of broken family dynamics where we're stuck in a cycle. I used to work as a 10th grade academic advisor and I would see poverty turn to poverty. Bad decision-making turn into bad decision-making, carrying down through family generations. Cyclical patterns of unhealthy conduct and living. And here's a God who says, no, 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 I want to come into your life and I want you to be all in because you can break this family cycle that you can start something new and something fresh, something good, something godly. The whole nature versus nurture argument. No, no, no. This is me coming in and you can start something new with your family. And I find that very winsome in our society here today. 
so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And here's another, so that you may enjoy long life. The idea of a long life that is eternal and yet one that, this is the kicker here, one that you can enjoy. How many of us go through life day after day and it feels that we are just trudging through drudgery every single day that we have a hard time getting our head off off of the pillow because out of our life we experience no joy. But an all-in life with God is a life that God wants to give us a supernatural joy that we could enjoy a long life. Hear Israel and be careful. Some of us, you know, real quick, some of us believe church people are grouchy. We shouldn't be grouchy. We shouldn't be miserable to be around. We should carry with us a supernatural kind of joy that it views life with a new kind of color. Amen. I love that. There was a time where I was walking around. I'm never going to preach through this sermon. There was a time that we were, we were walking around with my friends through Target, you know, when, we were, when I was working at that school, we'd walk through Target, and we just, you know, just love, love, we're just living our life, and literally had an employee come up to us and say, why are you guys always happy? I didn't even realize I was happy. I was just living life, you know? But that spoke to this employee, and it opened a door just by virtue of the fact that we lived our lives with joy. It opened the door to the gospel and the uh, result. It's because of God that we can go through our lives with joy. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. It is well with my soul. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So you can experience the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to you. That's why you should be all in for God, because God is a good God, and he has promised good things to the Christian life. What are some of the things that he promised? We read them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 there, but he also gave some others. Can I read them real quick? Because it might be encouragement for your soul this morning. This is some of the things God has promised his followers. It is not an exhaustive list, but it is a for sure, good one. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 37 through 39. I love this one. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. John 14, 27. I'm not done. I got a couple more. Peace. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are some of the promises that God has made to his followers. As a result of living all in for God, a life that is rooted deeply in God, he promises his followers, promises his followers certain things. And God always follows through on his promises. That's the truth from the beginning of scripture to the end. And as we continue to live on through the end times, even today, that God, he fulfills his promises and he will fulfill all of them. So why should we be all in? Because God has promised good things to his followers, but it's not just the good things we should be after because if we seek the gifts of the giver, then really we can experience idolatry, that we can put the gift above the giver. And so before we get into a real, and the text gets into a real practical, because when you look and think, okay, what does it actually mean to be all in? Everyone likes the idea of that. What does that even mean? The scripture will, will parse that out for us. But right before we run into This great text that that was going to help us, I think, is arguably one of the most powerful things that we're going to talk about this morning. The writer reminds us in Deuteronomy 6, 4, just after following these promises, and that's why we should be all in for God. He says also, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One, meaning he stands apart. There is no other. It speaks of uniqueness. That there is this God and we need to be all in for God because he gives good things. Yes, but because he is God and he is good and he is unique. There is no other God who stands in comparison to him. They are all false gods. This is the one true God. He created the cosmos. He is all powerful. He is all good. He is all caring. It's because of who he is that we should be all in because he's a caring and loving God. He's a God who wants good for you. He's a God who wants to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven when we went our own way and and rush into destruction time and time again, just like the Israelites did. He is a gracious God who is slow to anger and is willing to forgive. And he stands apart as supreme. It's because of who he is, just by nature of who he is, that we ought to go all in for God. And there's a reason for us to go all in. So what does it mean to go all in? Like, what does that actually mean? Because I think it's helpful if we get specific because we as people, I don't know if you're like me, I just need it. Like, how many of you are more detailed oriented? If you're going to go somewhere uh, and you want to know like what's happening, when, and you're very structured, how many of you? I'm just curious to know. Yeah, I'm kind of that way too. I like to know what I'm in for. So what does all in actually mean? It's going to be helpful if you want to be the kind of people who are going to go all in with God it should be important to know what does that actually mean. So this is where I really want us to camp out. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, if we are to be all in for God, then we need to be all in with our heart. We need to be all in with our soul and we need to be all in with our strength. What is meant by the word heart? The word heart encaptures, and it's so helpful. I'm so thankful that God has given us his word 
so that we can keep track of our lives and make sure if there's a lot at stake here of us being all in for God, then we better make sure that we're all in and we better know what that means. So the word heart, it encaptures the entire inner life. That includes our mind. That includes our will. That includes our emotions. The way that I think, the way that I am willing to act, that place from which I am going to be moved into action, the way that I feel, it encaptures and captures the entire inner life, the heart. We need to be in, all in with our emotions, our will, our mind. And our soul speaks to our appetite, our cravings, our desires. Are we all in because we want God? Like, are we all in? Is he what we want supremely? Our greatest appetite, more than we want even just the best family or a great career or a full paycheck or the prestige or even integrity? Is it that we want God most, that our desire for God is at the top of the list? And strength speaks to degree, temperature, volume. Do we want that more than anything else? Do we want God more than anything else? That word strength is used two times in the scripture. It's very interesting. I found that very interesting for those of you. Uh, that particular word for strength this speaks of degree, temperature, the, the, the uh, how much, you know, duh. Uh, you can't read that somewhere. Like, that's my definition. Like, strength means, do you just, duh, all of, script, all of God, like you want him? Like, it just kind of captures it. All your strength and everything. And I'm thankful that God, he, he parses out for us what it means to be all in because there is an enemy. There is an enemy and there is nothing the enemy wants more than for us to compartmentalize our relationship. He, he wants nothing more than for us to compartmentalize our relationship with God. I have seen firsthand that if our roots are not dug deeply into all of God and from all of us, the enemy loves it when our roots aren't that deep in all these different areas of our life, all our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Because he knows that shallow roots are likely to wither. And I've seen it firsthand, and maybe so are you. The enemy wants us to believe, if only you could intellectually grasp this God, then you will be good. Just just get him in your mind and just, just think about him and understand the ways of God and you will be good. When it's all mind and no emotion, I've seen that person fall away from God. A critical spirit begins to be born within that person. And weirdly enough, I've seen that turn into moralistic failings. I don't know why. They know so much about God that they're not willing to follow him with all of their emotion and strength because they're just not moved. They understand God and that becomes a wedge between them and God. Similarly, emotions, when it's all emotions and emotion before God, I've seen that cripple the Christian life that follows the ebb and flow of life where there are just high moments and then there are times of sorrow and despair. Instead of writing the hymn on the boat, they jump off of it because they experience some sorrow or maybe just some silence from God. In the midst of those seasons and the ebb and flows of life, they can't consistently stay through because they're not following God with all of them. Instead, it's compartmentalized, just emotion or intellect, and the enemy loves that. And I'm thankful that God helps us with this. I'm thankful that God helps us to know the dangers, and he knows, and he helps us to make the positive steps of, okay, I got to keep this in check. I got to keep this in check if I'm going to be all in for God. And that's important because we all, we're all going to worship. We're all worshipers. 
Meaning, if God doesn't have all of us in every area of our life, something else will. Our worship will follow different things. What is worship? I love the way Tim Keller says it. He says it like this. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that engages every aspect of your being. I'm going to read it one more time. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that engages every aspect of your being. And the question is not a difference between those who worship and those who don't worship. Author, non-Christian author, uh, David Foster Wallace, I think he said it well in his commencement address in 2005 to Kenyon College. He said, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. And if God doesn't get all of our worship, if we don't ascribe ultimate worth to him, if we take some of that and put ultimate worth in a relationship or, or in a child or in a job position or in an ideology other than God's, then we can experience real downfall in our lives. We're not going to experience the full blessing that can come from living a life all in with God. And that is a reality that we have to keep in check. And so God goes to great lengths, and the writer of Scripture goes at great lengths in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, to say, hey, keep this thing in the front of your mind to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. Be careful that your worship doesn't wander. He says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. You can really tell he's going to be stressing this here. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them, as, bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do not let your worship wander. You need to be all in with God. Leave no stone unturned in your life. Direct every area to this God because he's a good God who wants good things for you. In fact, he, he, he then begins to warn the followers, God's people. And it's out of a loving and a caring heart because worship, when it wanders, we can become slaves to the very thing that we are worshiping. If it is not God and we put our lives to something else, that thing cannot stand up to. That person, that thing, that ideology cannot hold up to the weight of our worship. We will simply be disappointed. It will fail us and it will hurt, especially when we go all in in these different areas and things. And maybe some of us have experienced that. And we've received this warning when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. A land with large and flourishing cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. It's a warning that says, okay, when you follow God, God's going to bless your life. And there's going to be a temptation in those moments when you're experiencing those blessings at whatever level they come, that our worship will want to try to wander. Is this God who gave me this? Or is it because I'm pretty good? I did pretty good here. 
Or is it because this avenue and this person, and so we start, if we experience a good thing that comes from this person, instead of ascribing the goodness to God, we forget God, and instead we put our stock in the thing that God has blessed us with and not God himself, and that's dangerous territory. Instead, he calls us to remember that it is God. Remember, it is God who gives good things. That the blessings come from God. That goodness comes from God. It comes from nowhere else. He is the one to which we should direct our worship. Ascribe ultimate value to God and to no one or nothing else because it will disappoint. He goes on to say, the opposite of, do not forget. He takes the positive. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In the midst of your life, do not forget that there is a God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's when we kind of chime in and say, I don't know if this is for me anymore. I didn't walk through the Red Sea. But this is why Jesus came. That Exodus picture of the Israelites in slavery walking through the parting of the Red Sea and into forgiveness and freedom. Freedom out of bondage and slavery. It's a picture of the Christian life where when we ascribe ultimate worth to different things, that's when those things become idols, when we worship idols, and idols can be all kinds of different things in our lives. And those things will become the very things that enslave us, that we become captured become slaves to our own sin, and we cannot break out of it on our own. We are completely trapped, just as the Israelites were trapped under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt. And this is why Jesus came, and this was last week's message. And it's important to go to this message of Jesus always, every single week, every single day in our lives as Christians, especially when we feel that we need to be all in with God. Because the call to go all in always follows the fact that God went all in for us. The call to go all in, you got to get this, the call to go all in will always follow the truth that God went all in for us. God went all in for me, therefore I should go all in for him. Not, I need to go all in for God so that he will go all in for me. Oh, that's a mixture of priorities that is wrong. That becomes moralistic religion. It's no good. It will, it will kill your life. Instead, God went all in for us, and therefore, we need to go all in for him. I want to invite the worship team to come back up this morning. Jesus, he came when we saw that we were misdirecting our worship, ascribing ultimate value to idols, and we were captured under the weight in slavery of sin, and Jesus came. He came to take care of the problem and to display to us a kind of love and grace and mercy that the world has never seen. He lived a perfect life when we were sinful. And when our death, when our sin deserved death, Jesus, he hung on a cross and he died in our place. He died to deaths that we should have died because of our sin. But Jesus is God. And death couldn't hold him down. Grave couldn't hold him down. He wasn't going to stay a prisoner in the jail of sin. Instead, he rose from the grave three days later. He appeared before his disciples and he ascended into the heavenly places and he is Lord of all. 
And he made it so that by faith, when we trust in Jesus and what he has done in our place, he made it so that by faith, we can enter into an all-in with God. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the grave, then you will be saved. And so Jesus, he affirms this text. He provided the way. He went all in for us and he affirmed the very text that's written in Deuteronomy in Matthew. In fact, he was approached by some religious leaders that wanted to trap him and say, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he had one answer. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The greatest commandment and the greatest blessing we can receive. It's like God is commanding us to receive a blessing. Go all in for God. He will never disappoint. He will never fail you. He wants to come alongside you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He is a good God who gives good gifts, who wants to give purpose and meaning, unconditional love and grace and mercy for your life. He can hold up and it is he alone who can hold up to the weight of our worship. And so he calls us, he beckons us to come to him with everything because he's the only one who can hold everything. So let us be the kind of people who go all in for God. Is all of our mind with God? Is all of our emotion with God? Is all of our desire for God? Are we going with God with everything or are we kind of hanging out in certain areas of our lives with God? Instead, let us direct all of our energy and all of our focus and everything within us, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength for God. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray. And then let's take a moment this morning. And maybe you're here and you need to have a conversation with God. Maybe there's been a, a stone in your life that has gone unturned. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would come into your life and now and show you that area of your life that you might experience a new kind of life, a revitalization for your life that is all in with God. Let us direct our worship to him this morning. He is worthy of all of it. He has gone all in for us. Therefore, we should go all in for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you did go all in for us. We can't thank you enough. We couldn't have done it on our own. We were slaves to our own sin and our choices, and we did that, and we deserve death. But we thank you, Jesus, that you gave a better and final word that says that death doesn't have to be the last thing for us, that we can experience a new kind of life that comes from a relationship with you. And I pray that you would convict Holy Spirit even right now the areas of our lives that the enemy wants to stay within compartments, I pray that you will open the doors and break down the walls of those compartments, even now, that we might experience an all-in kind of faith, an all-in kind of relationship with God, that we might be able to glorify your name and build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Help us and show us the truth this morning. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.com.
www.thepeopleofgod.org.